Hello and welcome to the last episode of Who Knows for this book only. <laughs> Got you there. Um, yeah, this is the last chapter of The Untethered Soul. Uh, we've been reading this one for a while. Kind of just now finishing it. Yeah, say la vie. All right. So we're in chapter 19, The Loving Eyes of God. Last one. Thanks for sticking it out, guys. We'll move on to some other good stuff here pretty soon. Chapter 19, The Loving Eyes of God. <clears throat> How can anyone really know anything about God? We have so many teachings, so many concepts, and so many views about God, but they've all been touched by people. In the end, it's amazing how much our ideas about God conform to the different cultures from which they come. Fortunately, deep within us, there is a direct connection to the divine. There is a part of our being that is beyond the personal self. You can consciously choose to identify that part rather than with the psyche or the body. When you do this, a natural transformation begins to take place within you. Over time, as you observe this transformation, you will see what it's like to be coming toward God. You actually begin to know what it feels like to be moving in the direction of spirit. The changes you see within, your, within you are reflective of the force you are approaching. Just as rain makes you wet and fire makes you warm, so you can know the nature of God by looking into the mirror of your transformed self. This is not a philosophy, it is a direct experience. Spiritual growth can be experienced just like anything else. You may have experienced a time in your life when you felt a lot of negativity, anger, and resentment. You know how that feels, and you know how you feel towards others when you're feeling that way. You know how your heart feels, and you know what your thoughts and actions are like. You know that space. It's not a philosophy. It's a direct experience. If you grow past that part of you, over time you will actually drift away from the feelings of tension and anxiety. The entire cloud of lower vibrations will appear further and further away from where you sit inside. The cloud may still be there, but if you don't identify with it or hold on to it, it can no longer hold on to you. As you release the lower vibrations, you naturally stop thinking they're, on, they're you or that there's anything you have to do about them. As you let go of them, your spirit drifts upward. How do you know your spirit drifts upward? You know the same way you know that you're breathing, the same way that you know that your heart beats, and the same way you know that you have thoughts. You're in there and you directly experience it. What does it mean to drift upward? It is an experience of being drawn further back inside yourself. You're no longer held down to your earthly self, so you begin to feel more spacious inside. You feel that there's more of a distance between you and the thoughts and emotions inside of you. You drift back and then in and up. How does it feel when you drift up? You don't feel as much anger, fear, or self-consciousness. You don't feel resentment towards people. You don't close or get tight as often. Things will still happen that you don't want to happen, but they don't seem to touch you as much. They can't reach back to where you are because you're drifted behind the part of you that reacts to things. These are actual experiences, not merely something you were told about. It's just what naturally happens when you let go of the lower vibrations of your being. You drift in and up to the deeper vibrations. Where are you going? Even if you have no basis for understanding what is happening to you, you are still having an undeniable experience of going somewhere. 
what you begin to feel is that you're going into your spiritual being. As you associate less with the physical and the psychological parts of your being, you begin to identify more with the flow of pure energy. What does it feel like to identify more with spirit than with form? You used to walk around feeling anxiety and tension. Now you walk around feeling love. You just feel love for no reason. Your backdrop is love. Your backdrop is openness, beauty, and appreciation. You don't have to make yourself feel that way. That is how spirit feels. If you're asked how the body normally feels, you might say that it's generally uncomfortable about one thing or another. How about the psyche? If you're being totally honest, you'd probably say that it's generally full of complaints and fears. Well, how does spirit normally feel? The truth is, it always feels good. It's always, it always feels high. It always feels open and light. Because of this, you naturally begin to center more, on the, more and more on the spiritual part of your being. You do this not by reaching for spirit, but by letting go of the rest. By, by letting go of the rest. There really is no other way. The personal self cannot touch spirit. You must release the personal self. As you release it, you drift back. As you go further back, you get higher. You get higher in vibration and higher in the amount of love and lightness that you feel. You just begin to soar. This happens in ever-increasing, continuous progression. As you let go and willingly release the physical, emotional, and mental aspects of your being, spirit becomes your state. You don't claim to understand what is happening to you. You just know that as you go further and further back, it gets more and more beautiful. You naturally begin to experience the vibrations that were described by the great saints and sages of different traditions. You realize that you too can have deep spiritual experiences and be in the spirit on the Lord's day. Revelations 1.10 But ultimately, how do you really know anything about God? How can you ever know about what is beyond you? You know because those who have gone beyond have come back and said that the spirit you're experiencing is the doorway to God. When they let go of the lower aspects of their being, they experience just what you're experiencing. They felt tremendous love, spirit, and light waking up inside of them. They felt that nothing could come in through their senses that was higher than what was already going on inside. They drifted further and further back and got higher and higher. Then one day, all of a sudden, they weren't there. There was no sense of I anymore. There was no sense of separateness experiencing the love and light. There was only the ultimate expansiveness of their sense of self merging into the love and light, like a single drop of water merging into the ocean. When the drop of consciousness that knows itself as an individual drifts back far enough, it becomes like the drop that falls into the ocean. The Atman, the soul, falls into the Paramatman, the supreme soul, the individual consciousness falls into the universal oneness, and that's it. When that happens, people say interesting things like, I and, I and my Father are one, John 10.30, and the words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doth the works. He doeth the works, John 14.10. They all spoke like that. They said they had merged and that there was no differentiation between within the universal oneness of God. The drop of consciousness, which is individual spirit, is like a ray of light emanating from the sun. The individual ray is really no different from the sun. When consciousness stops identifying itself as the ray, it comes to know itself as the sun. Beings have merged into that state. In the mythical 
In the mystical gospel of John, Christ says that in that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and they also be in be one in us, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. John seventeen twenty one through twenty three. So it was taught in the Hindu Vedas. Vedas, I don't know how this, how do you say that. So it was taught in the Jewish Kabbalah. So it was written by the great Sufi music, mystic poets. And so it was taught in all the great religious traditions of all time. Such a state exists. One can merge into the universal absolute. One can merge into God. This is how you know something about God. You become one with him. Ultimately, the only way to know about God is by letting your being merge into the being. And then seeing what happens to you. This is universal consciousness, and the qualities of beings who have attained this deep state are similar in every religion. What happens to one who walks this path toward God? What transformations do they go through along the way? To understand this, imagine what would happen if you started feeling tremendous love for all creatures, for every plant, for every animal, and for all the beauties of nature. Imagine if every child seemed like your own, and every person you saw looked like a beautiful flower, with its own color, its own expression, shape, and sounds. As you went deeper and deeper, you would start noticing a phenomenal thing. You are no longer judging. The process of judging has simply stopped. There is just appreciating and honoring. Where there used to be judging, there is now respecting, loving, and cherishing. To differentiate is to judge. To see, to experience, and to honor is to participate in life instead of standing back and judging it. When you walk through a beautiful botanical garden, you feel open and light. You feel love. You see beauty. You don't judge the shape and placement of every leaf. The leaves are of all sizes and shapes, and they face every which way. That's what makes them beautiful. What if you felt that way about people? What if they didn't all have to dress the same, believe the same, or behave the same? What if they were like the flowers, You, however, and however they happen to be seem beautiful to you? If that happened, you'd get a glimpse of God. That's the best way to know God. Watch what happens to you as you get closer to him. It's really the only way you can know anything about God. If you try to read about God in a book, you'll find five other books that say the opposite. Better yet, you'll find five interpretations of the same book. Somebody writes something and somebody else gets a PhD proving it wrong. If you move your search for, for God down to the mental level, somebody will dispute it. It's all part of the mind game. You can't know God that way. It must come from actual experience. That's what happens to you when you when you meditate. That's what happens when you let go of your lower self. You drift into spirit. And as you drift into spirit, these transformations take place within you. All you have to do is notice them, and you will start to notice the tendency towards the qualities of the divine. The further back you go, the more you will see these natural qualities unfolding inside of you. Each step along the way, you get a clearer glimpse of what it must be like to sit in that divine state. There are those who know of the existence of the divine force. They have had enough direct inner experience to know that divine consciousness is a reality. They have seen glimpses of a force that is omniscient, omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. A force that is aware of all things at all times, equally. It is universally conscious. What does creation look like from that divine state? What have they seen those who have gone beyond and looked through the eyes of God. 
They see that there is no judging. Judging faded away a long time ago. There's just more beauty to see. Such a being feels. Now I can see all the flowers at once. Now I can experience what each of my children and all of my diversity is doing. Now I can feel more love, more compassion, more understanding, and more admiration for all the different expressions and actions of my creation. That is what it looks like to a saint, and a true saint dwells with God. What if it is really true that God is not judging? What if God is loving? We all know that true love doesn't judge. Love sees nothing but beauty in its beloved. There is no impurity. There is no possibility of impurity. No matter what it beholds, it's all beautiful. That is how true love sees. That is what it looks like through the eyes of love. So if God is love, what must it look like through those eyes? The eyes that are filled with infinite love and unconditional compassion. If you've ever really loved anybody, then you know what true love means. It means that you love them more than you love yourself. If you truly love someone, your love sees past their humanness and embraces their whole being, including past wrongs and current shortcomings. It is like the unconditional love of a mother. A mother devotes every moment of her life to a child who is physically or mentally challenged. She thinks the child is beautiful. She doesn't focus on the shortcomings. In fact, she doesn't even see them as shortcomings. What if that is how God looks upon his creation? Then you've lost out if you've been told otherwise. Instead of being encouraged to feel completely protected, loved, honored, and respected by the divine force, You've been taught that you're being judged. Because you've been taught that, you feel guilt and fear. But guilt and fear do not open your connection to the divine. They only serve to close your heart. The reality is that God's way is love, and you can see this for yourself. If for even one moment you can look at someone with the eyes of true love, you'll know those eyes are not yours. Your eyes could never look with that amount of love. Your eyes could never be that unconditional. Your eyes could never, even in a million years, see only beauty and total perfection in your beloved. Those are the eyes of God looking down through you. When the hand of God reaches out to give, to give through you, there's nothing you wouldn't give. You would give your last breath and never even think about it. It wouldn't even cross your mind to hold back. You would give anything and everything for your beloved, when you feel love this deeply, you feel that it is coming from something greater than you. It is transcendental love. It is divine, unconditional, selfless love. The Master spoke of that love. The ones who went beyond said it's the state you attain when you drift into spirit. That is how spirit looks upon its creation. That is what you should be taught no matter what you do and no matter what you've done. You will always be loved by Him. When Christ told the story of the prodigal son to his disciples, he spoke of one son who had gone away and squandered all of his wealth. Yet when he came home for help, his father treated him better than the son who had stayed home and worked. Christ explained that this was because one son had always been home, but the prodigal son had been lost and the father had missed him. There was no judging, only loving. Luke 15, 11-32 Christ also said, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. John 8, 7. What did he teach? What did he say? How did he look upon his world? He taught completely selfless, compassionate love. He hung on the cross next to thieves and robbers, and when a thief asked to be remembered, Christ said that he would share that day in heaven with him. Luke 23, 39-43. What were his first words upon the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23, 34. 
That is the love of a mother. That's how a mother talks about her child. The level of love and compassion is so deep that the child can do no wrong. If a mother can attain to selfless love, then what about God, the creator of love? Do you want to know how God looks upon this world? Do you want to know how he feels about the different kinds of people? Then look at the sun. Does the sun shine more brightly on a saint than on anyone else? Is the air more available to the saint? Does the rain fall on one neighbor's trees more than on others? You can turn your eyes from the sun's light and live in darkness for a hundred years. If you then turn them toward the light, the light is still there. It is there for you, just the same as for the person who has enjoyed its brilliance for a hundred years. All of nature is like this. The fruit on the tree willingly gives itself to everyone. Do any of the forces of nature differentiate? Does anything in God's creation other than the human mind actually pass judgment? Nature just gives and gives to whoever will receive. Should you choose not to receive, it doesn't punish you. You punish yourself because you choose not to receive. If you say to the light, I will not look at you, I'm going to live in darkness, the light just keeps shining. If you say to God, I don't believe in you and want nothing to do with you, creation continues to sustain you. Your relationship with God is the same as your relationship with the sun. If you hid from the sun for years and then chose to come out of your darkness, to come out of your darkness, the sun would still be shining as if you had never left. You don't need to apologize. You just pick your head up and look at the sun. It's the same way when you decide to turn toward God. You just do it. If instead you allow guilt and shame to interfere, that's just your ego blocking the divine force. You can't offend the Divine One. Its very nature is light, love, compassion, protection, and the giving. You can't make it stop loving you. It's just like the sun. You can't make the sun stop shining on you. You can only choose not to look at it. The moment you look, you'll see it's there. As you drift back into spirit, you will see that, these, that those are the eyes that look out upon this world. That is the heart that shines down upon everything and everyone. Through those eyes, the most wretched of creatures looks beautiful. That's the part that no one understands. People say that God cries when he looks at his earth, at this earth. The saint that sees God, the saint sees that God goes into ecstasy when he looks upon this earth under all conditions and at all times. Ecstasy is the only thing God knows. God's nature is eternal, conscious bliss. No matter what you've done, you're not going to be the one thing that ruins it. The beauty is that you can experience this ecstasy. And when you begin to feel this joy, that's when you'll know God's nature. Then nobody will upset or disappoint you. Nothing will create a problem. It will all appear as part of the beautiful dance of creation unfolding before you. Your natural state will get higher and higher. You'll feel love instead of shame. Instead of being unwilling to lift your eyes to the divine because of what you've said or done, you'll see the divine as a place of unconditional refuge. Contemplate this and let go of the idea of judgmental God. You have a loving God. In truth, you love itself for a God. In truth, you have love itself for a God. And love cannot do other than love. Your God is in ecstasy and there's nothing you can do about it. And if God is in ecstasy, I wonder what he sees when he looks at you. And that's it. That's the end of that book.
Um, after that, there's a little thing from the Institute of Noetic Sciences. It's a research center and direct experience lab specializing in the intersection of science and profound human experience. For centuries, the power of science has unlocked the mysteries of the natural world and driven human innovation. As Dr. Edgar Mitchell returned to Earth from his moonwalk on Apollo 14, he had a profound transcendence experience that led him should it be transcendental experience? That led him to establish ions in 1973. He understood that by applying the scientific rigor used in his explorations of outer space, we could better understand the mysteries of inner space, the space in which he felt an undeniable sense of interconnection and oneness. The missions of ions is to reveal the interconnected nature of reality through scientific exploration and personal discovery, creating a more compassionate, thriving, and sustainable world. At IONS, we are inspired by the power of science to explain phenomena not previously understood, harnessing the best of rational mind to make advances that further our knowledge and deepen our knowing. For over four decades, IONS has provided a safe harbor for scientists and scholars to pursue research into frontier questions related to the nature of consciousness, and for healers and educators to work with their emerging ideas. From our scientific exploration, we design experimental programs for personal discovery that allow each of us to access more of our human capacities and the fullness of our humanity. Today, IONS continues to forge new frontiers in consciousness research and experimental education, developing training programs for youth, adults, elders, and professionals on all majestic 197, all on a majestic 197-acre retreat center in Petaluma, California, one hour north of San Francisco. Learn more and join us at noetic.org. Ah, okay. And there's an about the author for Michael Singer. Going to read it because that's what I'm doing. Um, he's the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, The Untethered Soul, and the New York Times bestseller, The Surrender Experience, which have both been published worldwide. He had a deep inner awakening in 1971 while working on his doctorate in economics and went into seclusion to focus on yoga and meditation. In 1975, he founded Temple of the Universe, a now-long-established yoga and meditation center where people of any religion or set of beliefs can come together to experience inner peace. He is also creator of a leading-edge software package that trans transformed the medical practice management industry and founding CEO of a billion-dollar public company whose achievements are uh, archived in the Smithsonian Institution. Along with his more than four decades of spiritual teaching, Singer has made major contributions to the area of business, education, healthcare, and environmental protection. He previously authored two books on the integration of Eastern and Western philosophy, The Search for Truth, and three essays on universal law. Visit www.untetheredsoul.com for more information. Um, you can hear Michael Singer read this book. Um, you can watch an interview with him. You can watch the book trailer. You can find audio talks by him on the all these websites. Start a group discussion. Yep. Okay. And that's the end of that book. So that was pretty good. Pretty good. Um, 
I mean, that was pretty good. Especially there at the end when they're talking about God. But <clears throat> We are God, guys. We're all God. And the sooner we figure that out, the better off it's going to be for everybody. Life is awesome. Let me know what you think. If you've gotten this far, appreciate you. Um, this book is spoken for, so I'm not going to give it away. Um, but if anybody wants the last book that I finished, or any future books that I finish, let me know. And I will ship them out to you, or give them to you by hand if you're around. Alright guys, um, stay tuned for more content. Uh, I'm not sure when, but we'll get to it. Alright buddy.